listening to the voices behind Women's Cricket Chat. That's Alex, Hannah, Georgie and Cassie. Coming up on today's podcast, we've got South African broadcaster Natalie Germanos. And we talked to Natalie about all things commentary, who are the up-and-coming stars of the South Africa women's team, and whether or not we'll actually get to see a women's IPL in the future. So, Natalie Germanos, welcome to Women's Cricket Chat. So, I don't really know where to start with your career. Commentator extraordinaire, friend of the pod, all-round legend, and just doing it for the girls. So, welcome from the sunnier climes of Johannesburg, while Alex and I sit here wrapped up under duvets, hot water bottles, whatever. You can just chill in your shorts. Welcome to the podcast. How are things down in South Africa? First of all, thanks very much for having me on. Thanks for the, for the intro as well. I, I much appreciate it. How are things in South Africa? Uh, weather has been odd. It is summer and yes, it is warmer than England, but um, it's been a bit rainy and a bit cold and a bit weird. Looking forward to a good summer series, hopefully, depending on who knows. I mean, from day to day, who knows what's going to be happening and how things change with travel and all of the things. We know we all know the world by now and how things change all the time. But otherwise, good. You know, South Africa's good. It's sunny. It's a happy place. People are good. So, so far, so, so good. And so what is it that you are up to at this current moment in time? What's what's the next project? So I'm busy with research because the Indian men's team is in South Africa and we've got the first test match on Boxing Day. So that's, I mean, it's a series we always look forward to. India looking to win their first test series in South Africa. So that could be interesting as well because they've done it everywhere else. So looking forward to what they're going to put up there, what South Africa is going to do too. Also doing some research ahead of the men's under 19 World Cup because I'm fortunate enough to be part of that. So I'm looking forward to that next year. And so obviously test matches, you're commentating on the men's test matches, which is just amazing. As a female commentator, what was it like getting into that and doing your first test match? Because that is the stalwart of cricket, really. It's where it all began. You know, if I look back on that, that was what, I think 2005 would be my first men's test match. Uh, So yeah, I've been doing this for a little while now, trying not to give too much of my age away, but It's an interesting experience because as much as obviously I'm walking into a world where it is 90, probably 95% men at the time, um, there's a lot more females involved now. And at the time, I don't know if I understood the sort of the gravity of it in a way, because I was so focused on trying to do a good job, trying to put uh, my best foot forward and obviously trying to make an impression because you know, new to it and you want to try and make sure that you keep the job, obviously, and you get more opportunities as things go along. So I think initially I didn't quite understand how big it probably was at the time. And I was actually fortunate to have a really nice team around me as well. The team at SABC was so welcoming. They're so warm, very experienced people as well, experienced commentators who've been in the game for a long time. And they really were very welcoming and, and, and really helped me along. Good producers as well, which makes a big difference. So I, I think I was lucky to, to walk into a situation where they were very open to me being there for a start. And I suppose in many ways, I just saw it more as like a, an opportunity to learn from some past players, to be among some of the legends also. So that, it was it was a really good experience. Obviously, it's tough. It's very stressful. And you try and you're not, you don't want to make any mistakes, even though everybody makes mistakes. You don't want to be that person that makes a mistake on air. But, you know, it happens and, and you move on, you learn from it. And, and, and I'm fortunate enough that, I, that I'm still doing it. I think uh, Boxing Day will be my 90th 
23rd test match, I think it is now. Sadly, I've only done one one women's test match, unfortunately. It's all been men's test matches, but I'd hope to do more That's women's. That's because there aren't enough women's test matches. No. Yeah, exactly. Not nearly enough. And I'm hoping that now that India has played a really successful series against Australia, that we might see a few more. I'm hoping for that. And obviously, it's pretty incredible that you've managed to commentate on 94 test matches collectively. I wanted to take it back to the beginning and simply ask, how did you get into commentary and was it something that you always wanted to do? So I played cricket uh, at school. Unfortunately, it wasn't like a lot of matches and wasn't uh, a lot of opportunities because we only had in, within the school system, I think three or four other schools that actually played women's cricket. So I played with the boys, played with my brothers in the backyard, all those kind of things. And I actually wanted to play, but realized pretty early that at the time there wasn't much of a future. I wanted to try and get into a club and play there, but I just didn't actually have the opportunity because I didn't have a car to get to club. I didn't have transport to be able to get to play. All of those type of things come into it. And my parents are pushing me to study something as well, which now I see the value of at the time. I was like, "Uh, do I really want to do that? I see the value now, of course. And then I started thinking about commentary probably mid-teens was was sort of when it started to come up and the thought of doing it. And then it grew and grew as as my time within cricket sort of grew as well. And my studying as well, all those things sort of started to come together. And I was lucky enough that I was doing, I was playing volleyball and I was actually with a fitness trainer at Gauteng Cricket in Johannesburg. And he gave me a contact at SABC, spoke to a producer and they were like, yes, we're looking for some... some some female voices we need to try and see if we can maybe diversify we'll give you maybe a little bit of an interview or maybe an audition that type of thing and as I was just trying to sort of get all that together the producer phoned me and they're like well um the women's uh, world cup semi-finals are in potch and we'd like you to work on that so sent me a contract I signed and the first game I did was uh, world cup semi-final 2005 Mel Jones uh, was playing in that and Charlotte Edwards and everything so it's all people that I'm now working alongside as well which is absolutely amazing and I did my first commentary stint to my birthday so it was a very memorable occasion also to be great to be working on women's cricket as well at the time what a birthday present yeah and every year it comes around at least now I remember my commentary anniversary as well it's quite easy to, to remember as well and do you think it was almost better just being thrown in the deep end like that in many ways yes because I was lucky that as I said I had such good people to work with I had a good producer as well the producer basically said and I started out with radio too so you didn't have to worry about a lot of things that you do with tv like camera work being on camera all of those things and radio is a little bit more relaxed and you can tell some stories and I was working my first stint with Neil Manthorpe who is a very experienced uh, commentator and had been commentating even even at that stage had been commentating for many years and he's now worked all around the world and he's such a, an, an amazing warm person and very funny and friendly on air as well he comes across that way the listeners absolutely love him and he made it so easy and they, they put me on for 10 minutes with him just to sort of ease me in and fortunately it went very well and I was lucky that I was able to do both semi-finals at the time and then move on from there and SABC gave me a contract every year since. And you mentioned previously that in 2005 you commentated on the World Cup on the likes of Mel Jones and Charlotte Edwards. How do you go from commentating on them to now commentating with them and what kind of mind shift do you have to do? Yeah, it's amazing, actually, because, you know, I think of it at that time, because these are also women that I looked up to from a playing point of view, too, because 
I did want to to play as well. I just, as I said, I, I didn't quite get the opportunities maybe to, to be able to advance my career from that point of view. But watching them play was just amazing to see it live also because back then there wasn't a lot of TV coverage of women's cricket and not even a lot of radio coverage of women's cricket, especially in South Africa. So to get to watch them play and everything was quite amazing. And of course, commentating on it was, was something very special. And then I think it would have been... 12 years later, I met them at the 2017 Women's World Cup in, in England, which obviously we all know is, is such a landmark moment for women's cricket because of the crowds, the, the coverage, everything, the, the Lord's final, all of that was just incredible. And getting the chance then obviously to work with them, meeting Mel Jones, for example, who's she's one of my close friends, but I still consider her one of my heroes as well in, in many ways for, for so many reasons. I think it was quite overwhelming to be able to, to, to work with them. And it took some sort of I think courage in a way from my side because I'm working with what people who are my heroes and I've looked up to from a playing point of view but also from a commentary point of view and they are just such good advocates in terms of women's sport that it was sort of over- overwhelming in a way but I was so lucky that they're just such incredible people they're so warm they're so friendly that they made it just like well it's like we've been friends forever so it made it easy from from that point of view and and working with them it's quite a special treat and I've been so lucky to to work with them on a few events since then as well and you mentioned that 2017 World Cup which in England was obviously just a massive thing in England you know England in the final that semi-final against South Africa was just you're probably still not quite over it but nor are we maybe for different reasons what was it like, the experience of that sold-out Lords and seeing England take the title, which, let's be honest, no one was expecting them to win? Yeah, you know, I remember at the beginning of the, the, that tournament as well, people had asked me who I thought might be in the final. And I said England and New Zealand actually was my picks. And someone did say to me, well, what about Australia? And I just had a feeling something wasn't going to quite click with them. And as it so happened, sadly, obviously Meg Lanning had a very serious injury and they were, they were short to bowler as well in, in that tournament. But I, I had a feeling England were going to make that final. Then, of course, they struggled in the opening match against India in that World Cup. So I think a lot of people thought, oh, maybe, maybe they would be a little bit shaky. They were great through the rest of the tournament, obviously. And to have the host nation in the final is obviously a big thing for any tournament. But to do it with a final at Lords, the Women's World Cup as well, a sellout crowd, being there at the ground. And I remember looking out the window from, from the media box and seeing people queuing to, to get in. And from an early time as well, not past the time that the match had started, was from very early on those queues started. And already I knew it was going to be a special day because having that full crowd even the drums as well was was at lords which was quite incredible to have within the crowd there was wonderful support for india too which just gave it such a beautiful atmosphere and of course india was doing so well in that final that we really thought they had it and that dramatic finish with anya shrubsal just being so absolutely amazing with what she did and the competitive nature that she brought to it as well she lifted everybody and obviously lifted the crowd too it's i can still hear that crowd almost in in many ways because of how loud they were and how how uplifting it was as well and I think we in some ways you get lost and, and almost forget the the actual occasion and how big it was because the cricket was so good but then afterwards you're realizing what has just happened and after the match you hear about the viewership as well and, and how many people were watching it on tv how many people listened to it on radio it's a it's a huge moment in women's cricket and to be part of that it's, it's really really special and I'm obviously forever grateful for that. 
And you say that it was a huge moment. Did you find yourself sort of taking a step back and taking stock of how far it had come, even just in the time that you've been commentating on it from that 2005 to 2017, seeing that growth in the women's game? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was, I was lucky to to do the final with BBC Test Match Special and it's just that in itself already before the game started, I sort of stepped back and, and thought to myself, well, it's already been a successful tournament. We had an incredible semi-final with India and Australia and obviously Harman Preet Kaur's 100 was, was quite sensational. And I think that also brought a lot of eyes on the on the final as a result of that. The England-South Africa semi-final, which was so close, and South Africa was so close to making an historic final. So already I was stepping back before it and, and, and starting to think about what this actually means and being told that it's going to be a sellout crowd and, and, and obviously it's going to be, we would expect it to be quite a tight contest, especially after their group game between the two teams. But I do remember a certain stage, I think I'd finished my commentary stints Ali Mitchell, I think it was, might have been on air at the time. And I remember thinking like, wow, look what is happening here. Like we're getting into obviously a very tight finish. Crowd is into it. I know Ebony Rainford Brent was in tears when England won, obviously tears of joy. And it meant so much to her too. So to even be in the box with that, that's quite special because it's it's such a big moment for somebody who played for England and and obviously was such an an amazing person for England and now is a great ambassador for the game too. So to, to be able to be part of that, it is very special. I've got great memories of just standing there in the box and looking through what is an incredible view of Lords through through our, our box there um, at the media center uh, and just thinking, wow, now what? It was almost that, that thought of now what? Like what can happen next? Like this is just going to get better and better. And, and it has since then. Yeah. So you mentioned 2017, the 50-over World Cup being sold out. Then in 2020, we had the T20 World Cup sold out to 86,000 people, which is insane. Would you consider them to be landmark moments in women's cricket? Yeah, I think certainly 2017 is, and we can say that for sure, because we've seen what's happened since then in terms of coverage. All of a sudden, even bilateral series are being covered on TV and on radio more often than we've ever seen before. World Cups are being fully covered as well, which is phenomenal. And even in 2018, where the West Indies were playing, we had great crowds in in St. Lucia. It was such a good atmosphere. And I think that was carried along from the 2017-50 over World Cup. 2020, I think it's almost tough to say it would be a landmark moment. It has to be almost because 86,000 people is, is absolutely phenomenal, plus all the hundreds of millions of people who watched it on TV too. But I feel like we haven't yet been able to see the effects of it, unfortunately, thanks to a little thing called COVID, which has, has sort of broken the world in a way. It feels like it's a, it's a little bit broken, but I don't think we've quite been able to see the effects of it just yet because so many series unfortunately have had to be postponed or cancelled even some events like for example the women's under 19 world cup which was something we were all looking forward to and know that that is also another one of the next steps we need to take that's unfortunately had to be moved as well it was a huge day it was a huge tournament it was so well organized it was so well planned and australia take should take a lot of credit for what was a a phenomenally successful tour and, and, and successful tournament but i feel like maybe we haven't quite had the privilege, I would say, of seeing what the effects of of that tournament should be on, on the women's game. And of course, COVID is rearing its ugly head once again. How have you, as a broadcaster and a commentator, how have you adapted 
Oh, I, I will. I will say it was very tough. 2020 was really tough because after what had been a, a very busy period for me, and I was lucky to be involved in, in so many events and so many wonderful events. Obviously, so many things got cancelled. It was even difficult for us to have a home summer series as well, and there, you know, so many restrictions in place. All of these things. Fortunately, 2021 has been a lot better, and I have been involved in in, in a few quarantines, which I will say are not fun. I'm not very good with it. I get bored really quickly. But you know, you make it. You make your way through it and, and use that time obviously to, to do some research and that kind of thing but it is tough I really feel for the players I don't know how they do it because they go through so many of these quarantines and sometimes up to two weeks in a hotel room and then having then expected to perform on the field keep fit as well somehow and be expected to perform on the field I don't know how they do it I find it really tough just from a commentary point of view and I'm just I'm just there to, to just talk basically in many ways I feel so much for the players and I actually have even way more respect for them now because they're going through so much I think it has been a really I can't, I can't say that it's been an easy uh, couple of years it's been it's been a really tough couple of years but you try and obviously keep as busy as possible it's always great to just see tournaments going ahead and you kind of hold your breath and hope that the, the next one that you booked for will go ahead and that there won't be any issues and everybody obviously stays healthy and so it hasn't been it's, been it's been pretty tough but we we hold thumbs that 2022 is going to be obviously a better year than what we've had in the last couple of years. We hope that it just all sort of calms down and we can get back to. We say that COVID has had negative impact on a lot of aspects in sport. But if we look retrospectively at the 100, which obviously was cancelled in 2020 and then came back in 2021, had a lot of restrictions put in. But we went we had the double headers. And actually, there seemed to be quite a positive impact on the women's game of those, of more people coming to see them, getting more coverage, being at the big grounds. Is that something that you would like to celebrate? Or do you think that it'd be nicer if they could get that as a standalone thing? You know, I find that it's sort of almost the question, same as do we put a price on ticket sales, for example, for some women's games, or should we just make it for free? Because maybe if it's for free, more people might come in. But then the question is, you want to give it a value. You know, you don't want people to think that, the women's game doesn't actually have a value you want their tickets to have a value so it's that's sort of like a a very big balancing act I think a lot of people have to have and it's the same for me with double headers you know a lot of people will still see it and it also depends obviously how it's marketed how it's put forward but a lot of people still see it as a curtain raiser and that's not at all what it is the women's hundred was phenomenal I'm still iffy maybe a little bit about format does it work doesn't it work it's too early to tell we can't really tell from one tournament that's almost impossible and it would have been the same for all the other formats when we've brought them in so I'm still not sure about the format itself but the way it was marketed the way they made also ensured obviously obviously better salaries for for the women's players all of those things made a massive difference I would like in future that we see it standalone we've seen the WBBL has been very successful it's been great for the players it's still a premium T20 domestic tournament around the world probably will be for quite a long time to come I would like to see it eventually be a standalone but I still think there is value in it being double headers in the sense of bringing obviously people together bringing families together they get the opportunity to see both their heroes in the same day so whether it be heroes from the women's teams or heroes from the men's team they get to see them in the same day which I think is a really good asset to have and if they continue to market their tournaments as they have I think we can only see it getting better and better and and, and the women's players will around the world will be pushing to to get contracts there which is only good for the tournament. 
And obviously we missed out on some overseas players because they couldn't come over, but we did have three absolutely bloody good South African players in that victorious side. What was it like for you to be able to watch the three of them absolutely smash it and take the first trophy? Having watched Shabnan Ishmael, Marizan Cup, Danai Finigek for, for years now and how they've developed as players. I mean, they made their, their, their debuts a very long time ago now, just after even I started commentating. So they've, they've been playing for a really long time. But to watch them around the world and be so professional and they have so much impact on the game. Each one of them is match winners within their own rights. And it doesn't really matter the format they play either. Um, they And the <laughs> conditions don't seem to matter to them either. They're absolutely phenomenal players. They're talented, but they work really, really hard. And that's why they are so successful because they work so hard. Danae Fanikek as a captain is absolutely phenomenal. I love her approach to the game. She's so positive and she's been good from the South African team's point of view as a captain as well. And she's pushing them to greater heights as a result of her captaincy and her style and her leadership. So for me, it's really a proud moment. I I, I just feel so much pride for, for those ladies and watching them play. And that's with, that goes really with any of the South Africans who've played in the overseas leagues because it's inspiring to, to women back home and girls back home and I can only imagine what the next generation is going to bring us as a result of of these players and and, and the grounds that they've broken and they were also phenomenal in the women's big bash so you just can't stop them and then there was a bit of negativity on social media afterwards but to watch the impact that had of people who support the game being like this is not okay Donny van Niekerk is an absolutely phenomenal player and then she obviously got her wife Marazan Cap there supporting her as much as it is horrible and that shouldn't be allowed on social media it shouldn't be there the pushback from the people who support the game and support the women in the game was really positive. Yeah, for sure. And we wouldn't have seen that probably a a few years ago in many ways, because now I think as a result of players playing around the world and getting the exposure they deserve, people are starting to really sort of invest in the players in many ways in that they are true fans of of the game. They're true fans of these players, the individual players as well, their personalities, they're starting to get to know them and they have genuine love for these players, which we wouldn't have seen before just because of the lack of coverage. No other reason. It's got nothing to do with the personalities or even the skill of the women's players a few years ago. It's genuinely got to do with the opportunities of actually seeing what these players can do. And I love to see the support that they get. Sadly, we all know from social media, the the anonymous keyboard warriors who don't want to put their their full names forward, but they're happy to say whatever they want and feel that they have the power to do that because they can remain anonymous. Sadly, we're going to have that all over. And the more coverage that the women's game gets, sadly, we're probably just going to have more of that, which is, it's, I hate seeing it on social media. And it's the one thing I really don't like, but to see people support them and rightly so stand up and say, this is not okay. It is, is really positive. It is, I'm sure hurtful. And I'm sure it was really tough for, for Danae to see some of the, the things that had been written about her and saying that she's not good enough, all these things, which is crazy. But at the same time to see that support, I hope they take a lot of heart from it because they, they really should. Yeah, and then we can think about the positive aspects of social media. And something you do see on social media is the call for a women's IPL. What would you like to see happen? And when do you think that might be able to happen by? It's just something that you're never sure when the BCCI are going to finally be like, this is actually something that needs to happen. Yeah, you know, I know a lot of people said that initially there probably wasn't enough in terms of domestic players to be able to do it. Because yes, if you add up the numbers, 
maybe there wouldn't be enough domestic players. But what we've seen now recently is that there is a lot of domestic players within India that are up to scratch and certainly would make the women's IPL really, really good and really competitive. I'm hoping that it happens within the next two years. That, that's what I would like to see. I hope it's not something that also gets rushed and gets sort of organized at the last minute because that's not going to do the, the, the game any good at all. And it takes quite something to, to be able to put an IPL league together because you have to have the buy-in, obviously, of all the franchises, You've got to get contracts out for all the players, venues, fixtures, all of those things. So I don't want it to be a rush job. I wouldn't say, oh, they must do it and make sure that it's done in, in a month or so, whatever the case may be. But I really, really hope that within the next two years, we will see a women's IPL and hope that the, they get the full backing that it deserves because I can only see it being successful. I cannot see that thing, that, that being a flop in any way. And who from South Africa would you like to see play in the women's IPL if it were to happen? You know, I saw, I was so proud of Ayabonga Kaka when I saw her in the T20 Challenge last year. I was so happy for her that she got that contract. She is such a phenomenal player. She is so good for so many reasons. And she's been that good for many, many years now for South Africa. She doesn't, she hasn't played in, in, in the other the other leagues. And I'd love to see her get the opportunities, obviously, to play in those leagues. I know she likes to spend some time at home and spend some time with family because the international season obviously has been busy and in particular pre-COVID, it was very, very busy for them. But another one is Nkolele Kurumlava. She is a phenomenal spinner. She's a wonderful character as well. She's got a great personality. She's got so much potential. And any time she spends in India in those conditions, it's going to be so good for her finger spin. I think she she's a really, really good player. And I think that she would bring quite something special to the team. And I'd love to see her game develop even further. What impact do you think all these franchises and franchise tournaments are having on the international game? Oh, well, we're finally seeing that it, an opportunity to make a career out of cricket for women's cricketers, which is just incredible. And, and starting to also see a push for proper domestic contracts back at home for each of the countries, which is really good to see as well, because you cannot build a depth within your international team if you don't have players back home domestic players actually getting paid to play they have to be because how do they carry on and how do they keep it to the standards that they need to be to make the jump to the international side so these franchise leagues around the world are are pushing boards back home to make sure that they get professional contracts in for the girls ensure that they've got a career to move forward and have the chance of actually doing something very special with a career if they don't make the international side possibly they could just be playing in the t20 leagues which obviously that's also nothing wrong with that either so these franchise leagues are so important to the game it's obviously having an opportunity for players to come together from the other countries which is great because you're learning from some of the best australia has obviously got it right when it comes to the wbbl and how they've done it the standard is phenomenal we've seen fielding just get better and better just through the fact that these players now can dedicate so much more time to the game, which they just couldn't, unfortunately, before, because so many of them would have two or three other jobs that they had to actually go to, to be able to carry on playing cricket. So these franchise leagues are are huge. I really hope that they continue, obviously, in this vein, and that we see more domestic contracts for for these girls. Linking previously to you talking about being on the radio for SABC, you were the first female lead commentator on radio in South Africa that's an amazing achievement and if you could tell yourself something when you were starting out what would it be it's a very good question actually I'd probably say to just 
bring out your personality a little bit more. Because I think as women, we want to be so perfect because we're so scared of making a mistake. Because very often when we make a mistake, people turn around and say, oh, it's because she's a woman and our gender comes into it, which it doesn't really happen with men as much. I would probably say, bring your personality in a little bit more, relax a little bit and just enjoy the ride because it's going to be, fortunately, it's going to be a very good one. I think that's probably what I would say to my younger self. Talking rides, women's cricket has been on quite a ride since then. We've now got to the point, we've got qualifiers for T20 World Cups, 50 over World Cups, and we've got associate nations here, there and everywhere. And it's been fantastic. And obviously, recently we had to have the cancellation because of COVID. But how great has it been for you to see how many more nations have been popping up with really top quality sides? Uh, You know, obviously, I really feel for Thailand and, and what happened. That was the playing condition. Sadly, there's not much anybody can do about COVID and the situation, obviously, that they faced. So I really felt for them. But I'm so excited to see how they have developed in these last couple of years. The investment that has been put in by their board is showing. They've put a lot into the women's program and we're starting to see the benefits of that. I hope what that means is that we're going to end up seeing teams like Ireland and Scotland, for example, who have been around for a little while and had a bit more experience, that is going to pull their games up even more because that can only be good for for the women's game been great to see what's happened even in namibia and zimbabwe both those countries and how those two teams have come up and the investment that has been put there no doubt the more results that they get the more investment comes and that just means that the base of women's cricket just gets better and better and and who knows maybe we'll get to a point where we start seeing world cups with possibly 10 to 12 teams and it's all competitive cricket and we can see that expansion of the game within the ODI format and the T20 international format as well. And also looking at those qualifying tournaments, they were just having such a bloody good time at the same time. And that's what you love to see, you know, they're playing high quality cricket, but they're really enjoying it. And that's what we want to see in the game across all levels. Oh, for sure. You know, when when we saw Thailand in, in 2020 at the T20 World Cup, for example, they they were so they were just happy. They were smiling all the time. They were they were soaking it all in and enjoying every single moment of it. And it was infectious because you're seeing the, the this team having so much fun, enjoying themselves, celebrating every little win that they possibly had. It makes you remember why you love the game and why you have a passion for the game. And it brings that out in you. And I think it just makes you either a better commentator, a better administrator, a better coach, whatever your job is within the game. It just makes you better. So to see how the women have come through in these other teams and how much they love the game, it really reminds of why you love the game. And how important the game is and that always the game should be central no matter what is going on around you. And so we were unlucky enough that those qualifiers couldn't get finished but it's still exciting we have got the two World Cups coming up over the next year or so. Who have you got your eye on? You know people are going to say I'm biased but I really believe that South Africa has a serious chance at the 50 over World Cup in New Zealand. It will depend a lot on fitness of players. There are certain players that are such big name players for South Africa that they'll be hoping that's fit. I know Shabnin Ishmael, for example, has been going through a serious rehabilitation. She said that she's just about back to her normal bowling, normal pace. She feels like she's probably coming back stronger, but I'm sure it's been a pretty frustrating period for her trying to come back from injury. But it sounds like she's she's on the mend and should be ready for, for the World Cup. So I 
really believe South Africa has, has a real chance at the 50 over World Cup. Obviously, Australia will always have, have a chance. They're such a good one day outfit. They're very difficult to beat. I'd be interested to see how England goes as well within this World Cup because I think in many ways in, in 2020, things weren't quite 100% right. There, there's a few combinations they probably didn't get right within the T20 World Cup then. So I'd be interested to see how they go. They've got a, a phenomenal captain in Heather Knight too and she's, she's just such a good leader. She's been in great form herself in this last year. I would say those are probably my top three. India is always going to be a factor. Um, I think it, for them, it's just more a case of selection and who they go with and, and getting that selection right and finding the right balance. But I really believe that South Africa has got a serious chance in New Zealand for the 50 over World Cup. And you said you're intrigued to see how England will go. The Ashes kicks off on the 27th of Jan and finishes on the 19th of Feb. Do you think whoever loses the Ashes, that's going to have a negative impact on how they perform in the World Cup? I think it depends probably how it goes within the the ODIs in particular within the Ashes. You know, the Test match so often can obviously swing things within the Ashes and that sort of thing. But I think there'll be so much focus on the 50-over format that that is going to be pretty crucial. And knowing Australia, obviously, if they, for example, were to win the ODI series in particular, they would use that. They know they'd have a mental edge and they know how to use it and use it well. And they would be able to use that within New Zealand because everybody plays everybody so they know they're going to have that encounter and that game in 2017 was huge in Bristol when England ended up beating Australia and that would have given England so much confidence to take it through and eventually take it home which of course they did so it would be a a really big game England Australia within the 50 overs and and the Ashes could have I'm not too sure the overall result within the Ashes will have much of a play, but definitely that ODI series will be quite big. And it would be interesting to see who's obviously got, I almost want to say the courage to make that first move, which could actually end up being pretty crucial within that series. And you've mentioned previously that you commentate on both men and women's matches. What are some of the differences commentating on male matches in comparison to female? The women don't waste any time. That's the best part about it. They get through their overs. You don't have those those periods in the ODIs when you're thinking, is this match ever going to end? Because they just get through their overs and, and there's none of that, that sort of messing around and they get through it. I enjoy watching the women's game for the, the skill that is that is on show because I think in many ways, we all know it's obviously, it's obviously slower. The, the women don't bowl as quickly as the men do, but it gives you an opportunity to see their skill on show probably a little bit more in a way than the men's game. They generally play on slower slower wickets. So you have to be full of skill as a bowler in particular, whether it be spinners in terms of maybe slowing the game down, maybe a little bit more flat, possibly trying to find that extra bit of spin. From a seamer's point of view, it's the cutters that come into play, all of those things that it's so great to watch that, that on show. And we've also seen such an improvement within the fielding within the women's game over the last few years. And it's been really good to see that because the commitment is is huge from from the women's players. The men's game, the obvious thing is, is obviously the men and they bowl a lot faster. The power game, yes, men are obviously more powerful and generally, if you look at the stats, they hit the ball further and hit a few more boundaries. But the women's game has changed so much in that respect over these last few years and we're seeing a lot more boundaries hit. We're seeing women hit it over the men's boundary as well, not just over the women's boundary. So that is starting to, to sort of almost catch up in a way. Um, so from the men's point of view, I, I, it's exciting to watch a bowler bowl 145, even possibly 150 kilometers an hour. It's really 
really exciting. Um, and you get to see that a bit more within the test matches because there's more men's test matches, all of those things. But there are obviously sort of subtle differences that you will notice within the skills as well. And that, you know, there's positives for men's game and there's the positives for the women's game as well. And in terms of test matches, we mentioned it earlier that we would love to see more women's test matches. Is that something you think is is in the pipeline? I think it. I think it really is. Look, it is up to the boards. The ICC have left it up to to the boards, and they must make the decision. To hear India be quite excited about the possibility of more Test matches is is huge because we all know the the play that they have. You've got a lot a lot of people watching the game. Everybody wants to play against India as well. It would be competitive playing a Test match over there in those conditions too. It would would make probably for quite fascinating watching too. And they've got such talented players. There's some wonderful players coming through to see Shafali Verma in test matches is great we all have seen her power game within the shorter formats of the game but to watch her in the test matches and how she played that series it was great it really was wonderful entertainment so you know I think if India can push for a little bit more within the test matches we all know that Australia is always going to play England in a test match we at least have that but now we need to see the other boards pushing it and I'd like to see the Ashes um, series style actually being played pretty much between most of the countries because I think that's very exciting format you get your ODIs T20s and a test match all within one which is not a lot of extra time within a tour um, because you would normally play the three ODIs and possibly the three T20s anyway so you're asking for an extra few days with the test match and then it just makes it even that even more exciting that it's all pulled together as to who wins the whole thing so I believe it's there's going to be more of it I'm also hoping there's going to be more of it as well and holding thumbs for it too on the topic of women's test matches, which are currently four days, would you like to see them as five days? I understand why people sort of called for the five-day format because of the last test match where if there was an extra day, maybe we would have seen a result. But we've been talking about men's test matches probably being reduced to four, four days. The thing for me about it is what can boards afford? Because that fifth day costs a lot of money. And that's why a lot of the boards were talking about maybe making men's test matches four days. Because sometimes it doesn't go to a fifth day for a start. So that costs your broadcaster a lot of money because there's no live game. It's obviously an extra day. Very often you don't get crowds in for that fifth day as well. So that makes quite a big difference. So it does cost a lot of money. So now we need to see what is good for the game. We want to make sure that it's sustainable so that you can take it forward and and at the end of the day, money is involved with that. And you have to, that is just a reality. So if we want the game to be sustainable and be carried forward, should it be forced into five days? I don't think it should be forced into five days. It should be something that becomes up to the boards. Do they want to, the, 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 the two teams, do they want to play five days or do they want to play four days? They, they probably could make that choice themselves. But I don't think it's something that should be forced in because sadly it does cost a lot of extra money. And that's within the men's game or the women's game. It actually doesn't make a difference. It will cost quite a bit of money. So we want to make it as sustainable as possible. So for me, if it's left up to the boards, left up to the two teams to decide, great. And which female player would you like to see in a test match? Laura Volfort. I think that's a, that probably the, the, the easiest one, really, for me. I'd love to watch her building an inning. She really has worked so hard on her T20 international game, her power hitting. She's worked on hitting through the leg side as well and opening herself up and being able to, to, to play a little bit more through mid-wickets. She's worked a lot on that, knowing that her drive is her strength. We all know her drive is her strength, and it's, it's beautiful to watch. And her drive through the offside has been really lucrative for her but she's worked really hard on a leg side game she's worked really hard on trying to score obviously more boundaries but I'd love to see her 
golden innings in a test match, see how she goes about it as well, because it's, it's a very different prospect. It's not the same uh, as building an ODI innings. I'd be interested to see. I mean, she probably should be sort of a, a perfect number three for me and, and to, to be able to watch her in a test match, how she goes about things against a red ball, which is different to the white ball as well. The pitch would be a little bit different. The, the field settings, all of those things uh, make quite a big difference. So I, I'd love to see her, her in the longer format of the game. And that's when she's not writing songs and singing my <laughs> <laughs> in the dressing room you know and so uh, she's a phenomenal talent that's for sure yeah she's cool isn't she would you say that she's one of your stars to look out for over the next year or who else would you have your eye on yeah, Laura is, is definitely one to look out for. Lizelle Lee has been in really good form as well, particularly in the in the One Day International. She's had a phenomenal year. The 100 she scored against India well, was great to watch. And she, next year in that World Cup, will be obviously a big player for South Africa, that's for sure. Again, Mlaba, our, our finger spinner, left arm finger spinner, she'll be quite exciting to watch, I think, within that format as well. But, you know, South Africa, I suppose in, in some ways, that I, I want to say they've got an aging team, but when you look at the average ages, it's not that high. It's just that they've played for so long. They made the debut so young that they've been within international cricket for such a long time. So I'm interested to see how much longer some of those players actually will be playing the game. because It's a long time to be touring and, and playing cricket and all those type of things. So I'm very interested to see if when the next generation starts to come through. Because right now, South Africa have a very good squad of 15 um, that they've relied on. And also, most of them very, very experienced players too, which is a plus. But the question is, obviously, when do we start bringing in some new players, maybe possibly domestically? But I think in this next year or so, Lizelle Lee, if she continues in this form, she'll be a big force for South Africa. And I'd be interested to see how Shabnan Ishmael also does coming back from, from her injury too. And it's interesting because obviously in England, we've got youngsters coming through who've come through the domestic setup. We've got the likes of Charlie Dean, Alice Capsley, Izzy Wong, that kind of thing. So maybe... Bringing something that kind of vibe in in South Africa would be something that would be hugely influential, especially with this, in inverted commas, ageing side. But looking ahead, we've got a big old year coming up for you, for the South Africans, for all the players over the country. But we do have a few quick fire questions we would like to finish off with that we always like to have at the end of a chat. And one for Hannah that she loves is, what is your favourite sledge that you've ever heard or used in a game oh wow oh gosh i actually can't think of one at the moment apart from ones that are, are probably not for broadcast really actually i'm probably a little bit more rude goodness me i actually can't i can't i can't actually think of one at the moment can i come back to that one Let's see if i can think of one yeah. Yeah. maybe you're just too nice <laughs> i was actually the quiet one on the field when i whenever i played and i also like likes to ask what is your favorite tea item at a standard village cricket tea probably carrot cake that's that's my that's that's probably something that, that, that i really like yeah that's that's that would be my favorite i think not something you should be having at tea but yeah carrot cake would be it. it's a vegetable <laughs> that's what i keep telling myself it's a vegetable favorite game you've ever commentated on i would say probably the 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 Women's World Cup semi-final 2017, as much as it was very tough to, to watch South Africa lose in that situation from a biased point of view, it was such an exciting game. It meant so much. And to see how the players had developed and knowing that 
that the potential that they have and what they could do moving forward, which we ended up seeing within the T20 World Cup, I would say probably that game. Yeah, 2017 Women's World Cup semi-final, England, South Africa. Favourite person you've commentated with? Oh, that's a tough one. I've got quite a few. How many am I allowed to give? Am I, allowed, I don't have to give one. You can give a couple. Okay. Maybe I'm one male to... and one female. Okay. One male is also, it's really tough actually, but I'd probably say NASA, Hussein. It's very, very tight. There's a lot of, obviously, like an Ian Bishop, for example, is phenomenal and, he, and he's wonderful to work with. There's something about NASA that I really enjoy working with because he's, he's funny. He's obviously a brilliant commentator. He's got a lovely way about him. A woman's commentator. Oh, it's pretty tough between Mel Jones and Ebony Rainford Brent. I would say it's pretty tough between the two of them. Even Lisa Stalake is also, she's fantastic to work with. Uh, if I had to choose, I'd probably say Mel Jones. I think she would probably be be the the one that I would have to pick but it's very very tough very tough to choose favorite place you've ever commentated but easy to say somewhere like St Lucia because it's St Lucia it's you know you're being in the islands there it's 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 pretty nice over there but the Wanderers is probably my favorite place to commentate when it's full and the atmosphere is is at its best when 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 that ground is full because you can't it's really tough to beat that atmosphere at the wonders uh, the the best from a commentary point of view as in the seeing like we the commentary position is actually probably Port Elizabeth in South Africa that you 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 almost feel like you're on the field you actually have to stand up to see the boundary that's close to you so that's how close you are to the field and you're almost on the same level as the field as well so that's a commentary position but the ground itself would be the wonders when it's full. Who is your commentating hero? Ian Bishop is my commentating hero. His way of doing things is, it's very, very special because he's so good at giving analysis without criticizing and making it sound like he's trying to put the player down. He's also so measured. He thinks about what he's going to say. He's funny. He's well-researched. Yeah, he, he, he. I would say that. Yeah, he's definitely, definitely the one I look up to. Outside of cricket, what was the last TV series you binged? Funny enough, watched The Crown for the second time. I did enjoy that quite a lot the first time around. That and, and is it Gracie and Frankie that's on Netflix? Pretty, I really enjoy that one. I, there's quite a few. I, I'm actually a binge watcher of series. So like House, I don't know if you ever watched House the series. I've watched that probably easily 10 times, the whole series. So I'm one of those people who sits down and like will binge watch a whole series. And, and, and a few times over, it won't, be, it won't be once. I'd watch it a few times over if I enjoy it. Last book you read? It's, uh, I'm trying to think of now what it is called, but it's actually about wildlife. Um, it's by James Henry. He's a, a guide that is actually, well, pretty famous in South Africa. And actually, I think he's from England, if I'm not mistaken. He wrote a book on a couple of boys going through to become guides and that sort of thing. I just can't remember what it's called. It might be something like The Wild or something like that. But that was the last one that I, that I read. Okay, Battle of the Captains. Heather Knight versus Dane van Nierkirk. I'm going to say Dane van Nierkirk. And yes, you're going to say I'm being biased, but I just, I'd love her approach to the game. I think it's a, it's a winning approach to the game. Not that, that Heather Knight doesn't have one. Of course she does. And she's, she's very influential. But yeah, Dane, it would be, if I had to choose, would be Dane. And if you can ask Father Christmas, I know this is coming out in January, but you ask Father Christmas for one thing. What are you going for? The end of COVID. Is that okay? Is that yeah. too much? You know what? You know what? We'll all join you on that one. <laughs> Do you prefer commentating on cricket or the Olympics? It's pretty tough because the Olympics I haven't done nearly enough of. I've really enjoyed anything that I have done so far and I haven't 
physically been to an Olympics yet. I've done it off screen and I enjoy that commentary a lot, the presenting everything from that point of view. So if, if I had to choose between the two now, it would definitely be cricket. I've never had that experience of being at an Olympic Games yet to know what it's actually like. Radio or TV commentary? Oh, I knew you were going to ask that question. And I don't like answering this one, actually, because I love them both. And I don't have, I don't actually have a preference. I genuinely love them both. And that each, each one of them has their own positives. So I'm going to sit on the fence for this one. Sorry. This one's a bit, a bit savage, but who's more likely to make it to a World Cup final? South Africa men's or South Africa women's? South Africa women is, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to take much, but too long to decide on that. I still believe that they're going to win the World Cup before the men's team. And that's, it's not about talking the men's team down necessarily. It's just that I just believe so much in, in this women's team and how, and how good they are and how much potential they have. And, I, and I've seen them on the up as well. They, they currently are on the up. The men's team is probably not on the up. They're sort of in a, a more of a rebuilding phase right now. And if you hadn't been a cricket and sports commentator, what would you have liked to do? Because I see you like a lot of photography, wildlife photography. Is that the kind of thing you'd want to do? Yeah, I actually had a choice uh, between going to varsity to study sports management or going to study guarding uh, for, for, for nature and stuff. Again, wildlife guarding. And I chose the sports management because I got a bursary for, for that so that's why I actually went in that direction in the end I was torn between the two so if I if I hadn't done the sports commentary and and, and made it in this as a career I'd probably be in the bush somewhere doing some wildlife guiding and finally what are your hopes for 2022 I'm hoping for things to get a little bit more back on track in terms of the women's game in terms of bilateral series and hoping that a lot more of them are back on track and that we see more of them happening and, and obviously not as many cancellations, etc. I'm hoping to see a big positive step towards a women's IPL, whether it happens next year or the next or the year after that, whatever it is, but as long as it's a, a sort of a, a step forward to that and a cracking 50 over World Cup. I, I can't wait for that. And the Commonwealth Games. I mean, so much to look forward to, obviously, from the women's point of view next year. And I, I think this only good to come next year in particular from the women's game amazing well that sounds like a pretty nice place to round up because you're obviously two hours ahead of us it's probably dinner time you've probably got some series to go and binge or get a glass of wine i mean wine. It's, it's... Uh, in this country it would have to be mold because it's like minus 512 degrees <laughs> alex says hard no on the mold wine there but natalie thank you so much for joining us today you're honestly absolute legend when it comes to commentating i speak from myself and probably for Alex when we say you know it's quite like we're talking to a legend here we're talking to a star you know you're where we want to be maybe and it's been so great to have you on the pod friend of the pod we love you and thank you so much for talking all things women's cricket men's cricket everything and just keep doing what you're doing Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to both of you. I love what you, what you're all doing with this with the podcast. I am so looking forward to more in this next year or so. You guys are doing such a great job. Thank you so much for everything you're doing as well. And awesome to chat. Massive thank you to Natalie for coming on and being a guest on the podcast. It's really interesting to hear her thoughts on the women's game and the major differences between commenting on men's matches and women's, and also her. Uh, brilliant thoughts on how to create a women's IPL and not just do it willy-nilly but to have it clear and concise and structured and to all our listeners if you want to keep up to date with everything we're doing you can follow us on twitter at wcricketchat on instagram at womenscricketchat and if you want to give us a like on facebook we are womenscricketchat 
If you'd like to give our personal Twitters a follow, then it's at HannahT1194, at GeorgieHeath27, at CassieCoombs98, and I'm at AlexJanePerera on Twitter. This has been Women's Cricket Chat. Tune in next time. Oh,